0: Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast, it should go without saying, I am your host Andrew Lewis and as promised, it's been a long way, it's been almost two years but we are talking cricket today on the podcast, joining me to chat cricket with the World T20 coming up and plenty of other stuff going on is Cameron McDonald. how are you doing Cameron? Good mate, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good, We're uh, we're both free from lockdown now. But we are on either side of the fence. One of us in Metropolitan Melbourne, one of us in regional Victoria. So we'll just have to wait a little while longer before we can catch up in person. We'll just have to do it over the internet today. But um, a bit going on, the news, I guess, in Australian cricket of the last couple of days is the retirement from test cricket of a, a Victorian Australian fast bowler, James Pattinson. Uh, burst onto the scene in 2011-12 and I think everybody at that stage was talking about uh, an incredible decade coming up with a with a fast bowling quartet of James Pattinson, Josh Hazelwood, Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark and Paddo was the sort of the one who missed out Um, he uh, never seemed to get a clean run at it so it's a, it's a, it's a shame to see him retiring at at a young age. Um, and maybe we never saw the best of him. I'm not sure. But uh, what are your thoughts on the retirement of uh, James Patterson? Oh,
1: it's very sad. It's hard to know if he was fit and firing. Whether there's a place for him in the, in our first choice eleven. Um, the the sprinkling of tests that he did play were just so exciting. You know, he's a bye on a, yeah, five from the boo and um, some other like memorable bags. Um, just a, just you know, the exact type of fast bowler you want to go and watch, you know, just steaming in. And we've got a bit of a tradition for producing fast bowlers like that in, um, in Victoria. And yeah, he just pounded the crease and bowled at the batsman. And um, yeah, I've heard him described. Um, during his career and, and especially since he's retired as a rock star. And I think that's pretty right. Um, and I was saying off air that, you know, it, at, at various stages of his career, it was him against Mitchell Stark for a place in that um, test side. And as good as um, Mitchell Stark has been, and, um, and while he provides it, you know, a pretty scary new ball option, and he's very good against the tail and, um, it is a pity that we didn't see more of Pattenson over that journey.
0: So the uh, the Paddo record in Test cricket, twenty only twenty one Test matches played. Um eighty one wickets at twenty six. Um his first class record is going to continue to play first class cricket for Victoria this summer once um they get their shield season going. So far three hundred and two wickets at twenty two point five, which is really, really good. Oof. Yeah. Um. yeah I mean I, I thought it was interesting um, Daniel Breddick, the uh, aged cricket writer had a couple of things to say about Paddo which I thought were rather interesting one was suggesting which is hard to argue with that he's the first Australian fast bowler since Bruce Reid to be at that level and not really um, realise his full talent um, and it's sort of a rather similar amount of test matches played in wickets I think Reid Played twenty six Test matches and took a 100, 110 w- odd wickets. Um, but I thought it was interesting. Brettic compared, compared him to Merv. Um, I I would have thought that Craig McDermott was more the uh, was more the comparison to Patterson, while Merv was more the comparison. Par- compar- Merv was more the comparison for his Dandenong Cricket Club teammate Peter Siddle. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, Victoria has had this wonderful ability to produce fast bowlers who sort of don't get to the absolute top tier. And obviously, Paddo found himself through injury or through form or selection or whatever reason on the outside looking in while the New South Wales bowling attack pulled on the baggy green. Um, but, you know, in the, in the, in the 90s, it was, it was Hughes and Fleming and Rifle and. And then again with um with uh Pattinson and Siddle again across Siddle playing for Tasmania now, but um it's just um just' interesting to see that uh, Pato just never never really got a a clean run at it, but um i think I, I, has he did he i don't know if he played a test match test match after the 2019 ashes series so he he' was also played pre- two test matches there.
1: He's a very, very technically correct batsman who, from memory, actually opened the batting uh, at Daniel. um, and and made look like he was going to make some handy runs batting as well. First, um, so, first
0: class test, uh, first class batting average of just under twenty two, and a test average of twenty six, which I think was coloured by some red ink. But um, and you know, a highest test score of forty seven not out, first class highest score of eighty nine not out. So. Yeah, I mean, he looked like a genuine, uh, you know, with if you if you got to run it a bit, and and with a bit of work could have been a genuine number eight in the mould of someone like Paul Rifle.
1: Yeah, that's a, it's a pretty good comparison, but but just a really technically sound guy that would have been a, a really backable um, night watchman if we ever needed one, and you know, sort of the antithesis of what Stark offers, which is that ability to grab a quick fifty or get out. Um, yeah, so, yeah, he offers quite a bit. And that, they're the other images that um, I think of when it comes to Paddo is you know little bits of footage surfacing from him heading back down to grade cricket and just terrorising blokes who've never seen anything like it.
0: Yeah, he also came across as a bloke who just loved playing cricket no matter what level he was. So he'd go down and it didn't matter if you were some snot-nosed little 17-year-old playing district first. If he knocked you over, you'd get a gobful. <laughs> um, in the proud Australian tradition. Um, his last test match was the New Year's test against New Zealand in 2020, which I think everybody's forgotten because I think they were down to their last 11 cricketers in New Zealand by that test match. Um, so started and finished his career against New Zealand and, and uh, that first test in December 2011 was when he took his best figures of five for 27, I can remember. He, he looked... That, that was the sort of performance on debut that just had you sitting on the edge of your seat as a straight cricket fan uh, moving the ball at pace um so yeah it is his great shame um, that uh, but but um you know he did uh, he did try once to try and prolong his career by changing his action and he sort of got the body right but he wasn't bowling well enough with a new action to get a game so went back to the original action and you know, sort of sort of shrugged his shoulders and said, you know, whatever, whatever happens happens. So it's, um, it's an interesting one. Cause we've had so much discussion over the last 10 years in particular about fast bowlers and their ability to stay on the park and rotation, all that sort of thing. We've also been very lucky that certainly, um, Hazelwood and Cummins recently have been able to get on the park pretty much all the time. Um, and stuck most of the time. So when I grew up, you know, someone, certainly someone like Craig McDermott would get and Merv would get injured regularly and they weren't particularly injury prone uh fast bowls. Bruce Reed was never fit. Um so I think that I think he's a bit of a throwback in many ways, and not just in style, but in sort of the the in and out of career he had, where fast bowls would play, would look good, but would break down. So such a brutal profession. It is. It's. It's. It's a. It's an unnatural thing to do. Fast bowling. Um. All the best to uh, James. Um. For the whatever remains of his uh, professional cricket career and. Um. Certainly be part of that uh, team that retained the Ashes in 2019 in England. But his last. Yeah. So. Um. So he's got that to sort of go on. You know, not quite the end of his Test career, but. Pretty much. Um, at the other end of the spectrum is the T20 World Cup, which is underway with the, I guess, the preliminary qualification rounds at the moment. Um, Ireland are playing Namibia later this evening, which is a match for which they stop the presses normally. Um, <laughs> the Dutch are playing the Sri Lankans tomorrow or sorry, yeah, tomorrow morning, uh, our time. Uh, so Australia played their first game on Saturday evening against South Africa. Um, a lot of the discussion has been about the composition of the Australian team and in particular the form of Dave Warner. Um, I'm not sure what you think about uh, how Australia should be approaching selection or how they've approached selection in T20s um, generally, but... Um, it seems they're torn between sort of competing priorities at the moment.
1: Yeah, I, we've just not ever been a very good T20 site, um, I don't think. Um, Constantly underperforming and, and uh, you know, particularly in the big tournaments, which is not a, a typically Australian thing, but it, it's a very Australian uh, T20 cricket thing. Um, I don't know the the whole the debate about Warner rages because well at this stage at least, who else is going to open the batting for Australia? In white ball cricket it's been Finch and Warner for a, just a really long time now. Um and the backup to... option potentially is in, in this squad is either Philippi or um or Matthew Wade. Uh Philippi just hasn't had the cricket. They're not they're not playing him at the top of the order. So, so it would be uh, an extraordinary thing after two warm-up games to throw him to the Wolves. Um, and Matthew Wade, while he's been a terrific servant and and is the guy who you just know is in there in the dressing room saying, I'll do whatever is required. I'll bat anywhere from one through 11 and I'll bowl a bit and I'll keep and, uh, you know, it, it, Mr. Fix-It. But, you know, besides one really glorious summer of batting, um, he's been found wanting a little bit. Um, when we're talking about these absolutely world-class um, T20 openers, T20 batsmen in general, um, the the Indians put on a masterclass against us the other day. Um, and you might give David Warner a, a better chance of getting out of this little slump if if these weren't low, slow turners. Um, but there's just... I think he needs a bit of pace in the wicket too. Um, <laughs> to pull himself out of this slump bless you and uh, and yeah like you know if anything I think it's, it's a nice soft match up against the South Africans in that first game uh, neither side these kind of wickets so maybe um, maybe it's a good chance to find some form
0: um, even if it might be you know short lived mm. I mean South Africa aren't the world cricket power they once were and you know that's much to the much to the detriment, I guess, of world cricket at the moment, and a lot a lot of that's had to do with I think is related to cricket politics and um how the pie's been carved up basically to the benefit of the big three. But um the 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 the, the, the way that Australia approaches selections to just national international T twenties over the course of it's been 16, 17 years since Uh, this form of the game was sort of established at an international level, it's it's, it's sort of baffled me because between major tournaments, um, the selectors treat T20 as a a way of rewarding good big bash form, Uh, resting players who play in other forms of the game and maybe giving a guy a taste of international cricket before he's quite earned it. And then we get to a major tournament and they pretty much settle on an 11 of established international cricketers and just go with those guys. And for the most part, these are these are players who've made their names in other forms of cricket. Um, and it's obvious that it hasn't really, I think Australia made one T20 World Cup final. Um, and that's sort of happened pretty much. You know, largely based on the brilliance of Mike Hussey, um, mm. it just seems that we've got a team that you know features the captain, and that's fine. He's played a little bit of Test cricket, but um, he's a he's he's the one day captain in a one day, and has been a one a fixture in the one day team for a long time. Um, Warner's all three forms, Smith's all three forms, the fast bowlers are all three forms, um, and you know Starks the best quite poor bowler in the world, arguably. Um, but the, and it, 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 the rest of it sort of, they, it, you, there doesn't seem to be a clear strategy. There doesn't, there doesn't appear to be a sort of a planning that goes into, the, into it in terms of a, in terms of a cycle from one torn, one major tournament to the next, which has been difficult because this tournament was supposed to happen in Australia last October. There's another T twenty World Cup this time next year in Australia now. So it's hard to when you don't know when the tournament's gonna be played, it's hard to plan and when there's not games and all that sort of stuff. But I said I said some some a while ago, I think pretty much they should have separate tested T twenty teams and the ODI team should be sort of a composite team between the two teams. Um and there's enough good T twenty cricketers who are Australian who play in the Big Bash that you could have A team of T20 specialists, and I think you know that would be a strategy that would be worth trying because what's happening at the moment is not working.
1: No, well, I don't think we'd, I think we'll be hard pressed to actually get out of our group, um, in this tournament. Um, and that's a lot of that's based on conditions, but we have not, we don't look like we've picked a team to handle these conditions, but probably speaks to the depth of the talent in this country too. That it's hard to know who to go to next. I actually don't know whether we do have the T20 Specialist 11s. Um, You know, it was good to see a guy like Dan Christian um, be back around the group. But your Chris Linz and Darcy Shorts and some of these guys who have have gone up with huge reputations for obliterating the Big Bash just uh, have been found wanting on the international stage. And um, you, you might pick... Um, a side that was going to handle spin bowling really well. Glenn Maxwell's in the T Twenty team, no matter where it plays. But beyond him, um, I think we may be found wanting trying to score quickly against spin.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean it is a completely different game under Australian conditions, and the spin is sort of like how to, I feel like a lot of the big, best teams treat spin, unless you've got someone special. Um, at your disposal they sort of treat it like how do we get through these four overs um, how do we get through yeah how do we get through these four overs how do we get through this fifth bowler how do we how do we sort of escape and minimise damage while we're not bowling the quicks um, there's no taking the shine off the ball you, I mean if you've got four or five great spinners at your disposal in this form of the game playing a, a, a a major tournament in India or or on the Arabian Peninsula or, or even the West Indies, why wouldn't you just play all spinners? Um, we wouldn't because that's not what we do. You know, we're going to do essentially what we've always done. We've got to have two quicks to start the the bowling. So, I mean, I, I just, you know, and I think it all speaks to the fact that I'm not sure we've ever truly taken it seriously, the format, the, you know, the, the format. Um, in, on the international stage I think we take the format seriously enough the big bash is probably the second most successful of the t20 tournaments around the world um, but the national team is when we're playing a summer and we've got t20s it's it's an afterthought I think because they think you know you're gonna get 70,000 at the MCG for a t20 no matter who we put in the team um, but then comes tournament time, and then it's all the established players, and some of them are. And then it's a, it's a question of whether they're in form or not. Should Steve Smith, who's a who's a rather conventional run scorer, be in the T Twenty team? Um, and also with those guys you've mentioned, guys like Chris Lynn and Darcy Short, when they have got a taste in the Australian team, they you know it's they haven't been persevered with for any length of time. They haven't been given a role. And given a chance to settle in that role in the Australian setup, so the leash has been very short.
1: Yeah, I, well, I some would agree. I mean, I think you, it probably speaks more to the fact that we just don't play a heap of limited overs cricket in our summers. But you know, they they both got pretty decent stints for a couple of summers there in the middle order of the fifty over team and the and the twenty over team. Uh, and we knew what they could do, and they just didn't quite do it. uh, In a couple of soft kill summers as well, so it's um, it's an interesting one because I just I just don't see the depth of talent in Australian cricketers, and especially for a tournament being played in um, in these conditions. I I think we will be some chance in the World Cup to be staged in Australia, and interestingly, at that point and on our surfaces, maybe Steve Smith is not in our top six. Best T twenty batsman. Um, I've sort of uh, toed and froed with the idea that he might not be in our best one day team, um, but certainly I think it, in these conditions when we're just as likely to be three for ten um, as any other score, um, I think you've got to have Steve Smith there because he'll be rebuilding things, and that makes a you know a forty off. 40 um in support to glenn maxwell or or someone similar you know pretty important uh, if if everything's going beautifully i don't think steve smith um scores quickly enough from the moment he arrives and that's t20 cricket in a nutshell you got to pick a team for 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 things going beautifully um we'll talk about this later when we get around to our 11s there's you sort of do need an insurance policy guy in your top six um, in the fifty-over game in case things go wrong. Um, and Steve Smith, that guy for us um, on these low, slow turners.
0: Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is a well-established player of spin, so um, that does work in his favour in this in this form of the game. Um, the one guy who they've been talking about in the Australian setup who has been ticking the box of being able to strike the ball well from the first ball is Mitchell Marsh. I just wonder the two guys who are getting talked up in the team in terms of being in really good form of Mitch Marsh and Glenn Maxwell. Um, it'd be a very Australian thing to do to watch one of them have a really good T20 tournament and play themselves into the number six spot in the test team through T20 form. Yeah. Um, both have been, both have had their chances in the test team and have performed at times in the test team. I think Mitchell Marsh got more of a, a go than Glenn Maxwell. Um I think primarily because um Maxwell bowls off spin and they've wanted someone who doesn't I think if he bowled something else other then he might have been a chance. But having said that The
1: intrigue with the intrigue with the number six now punter is that Cameron Green's batting well enough to, arguably, to bat five. Marsh and, and Maxwell probably waved goodbye to the, the idea of test cricket when this in- incredible cricketer um, launched onto the scene um, and has handled himself pretty well in the test side last summer. But, but certainly, having left that arena, has gone back and obliterated all shield cricket that he's played Certainly, all the grade cricket that he's played, but it's just been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So, this guy's meteoric rise may mean there is room in the team for some extra flexibility, and that a guy like Maxwell with his off breaks, suddenly you have the support of Cameron Green if he's fit, um, bowling one hundred and forty, um, you know that suddenly you know he becomes a pretty attractive proposition, and there's a Mm. bit of a campaign, um. For him, it always feels like there's there's one side of the media that's campaigning pretty hard for Maxwell in Test cricket, but it started again because uh, under the guidance of AB de Villiers and and Virat Kohli at RCB, he's had a sensational uh, premi- um, IPL uh, tournament or the back half of the tournament since mm. the um, the relaunch. Um, and Mitch Marsh, um, there's every chance that. Um, he plays ahead of Cameron Green if he's not injured last summer as a guy who came back from that Ashes tournament with his reputation enhanced um, in the public eye. Um, a genuine top six bat now where you probably queried that um, over the journey. Um, and a really handy bowler. Um, a guy who, in that in that test match that he played, in the test match that we lost, he bowled quite well. So yeah. it's... Um, it's intriguing the Test side because we're we're never sure who's going to bat at number six. Um, Green
0: is a wonderful
1: option, but may press
0: higher. I mean, I would li- without sounding unfair to Green, and I think I will. I think he bowled like a number five last year. Um, <laughs> he's obviously it, it's he bowls just quick enough not to cause problems. So you look at it, you think, oh, 141, 142. And if he was just three or four kilometers an hour faster, it wouldn't matter so much that he doesn't really do anything off the pitch, um, which was the problem. I in fair play to India, they're, they're a very, very good batting on that. But I don't think he's got the ability to do with the ball what you would need to do to sort of get out of Pajara or someone like that, which was... Which was Rahana, it was which was desperately necessary at times last year in in the, in the Test matches. Having said that, I think he looks every bit a Test batsman. Green um, Marsh has been unlucky, and Maxwell has been misused in the Test side. So I think they all had claims. Um, the other thing about Maxwell, and this is a this is a point that you and I make all the time, is that. He is a he's he's a plus cricketer in the field. Um, he will create chances. He will save runs. Um, so i a
1: lot, but I see no reason to think that the second that the second coming of Glenn Maxwell on the Test side and maybe a uh, a decent run at at Test matches in Australia and all of that. I don't see any reason why that couldn't align with something like when Andrew Simons. Um, launched into the test arena um, through that Ashes series with that big 100 at the MCG and um, played some very handy cricket from that point on. Um, Having been a really valuable member of the um, limited oversights for a good chunk of time, Simons was brilliant in the the field. He was, um, you know, good to be around for a little while and, you know, made some excellent quick runs at six, Save 20 every time and picked up some handy you just yeah. need a guy like that
0: yeah um do you have a do you have a team you like in the t20 uh
1: do I have a team that I like to win the tournament yeah oh, it's hard to go past India um you know there, there's guys that they're not gonna pick that would be the best batsman in about six or seven other teams there's a guy called Ishan Kishin. I don't know if you've if you've seen any highlights of this guy batting yet, but he's unbelievable and in the warm up game that he played, he made seventy odd retired and was just flaying them to all all corners and you know because of this unbelievable strength of their top water, he um he won't play I don't think um there's just so many destructive guys in that batting lineup. They're so used to playing um, on the low, slow wickets. Um, they've got very good spin bowlers and depth in their spin bowlers. So I I, just, I think they're the best cricket team um, in in all formats. And a, a, you know, a dark horse, a team like the West Indies, just have had a capacity to show up in T Twenty. Um, World Cups, obviously they've won two of them and um, they love hitting the ball a long way. They're very powerful. Um, So this tournament might not suit them as much as as one on a a faster, um, bouncier uh, type part of the world. Um, But, you know, you can never write them off.
0: Fair enough. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I think we might be entering a time where pretty much in all formats of the game for some time. It's gonna be India. Um they've certainly pressed home their advantage and their 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 work in talent identification and development now is just first rate. And that was that was what needed to happen. So um yeah, I think I think that'll be pretty comfortably the team to beat. There's a couple of teams in transition that there might be an opportunity if Australia can getting a run of form um but it's also yeah i mean you have a bad day and lose to a minnow a lot easier <laughs> in t20 um, you have a bad six overs and and find yourself um copping an L um anyway so we've been putting this off for some time um i mean to do it and there's the sort of thing we've talked about if you you've ever had the fortune or misfortune to have sat behind us at the cricket. <laughs> um, we've broken out our 11s. This is an opportunity for this. Um, you know, certainly myself, someone raised on, um, the world series cup and cricket. In the 1980s and day and night matches from the SCG and Saturday mornings from the Gabba between the two countries that weren't Australia. Um, for me to sort of kick it old school. So the challenge for <laughs> the challenge I put down to Cameron and, and I've undertaken challenge well for us to name our greatest Australian and and world one day 11s. Um, so no particular qualification or anything like that other than one team has to be up of Australians. The other team is everyone but Australians. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to give the honor to the guest. um, to start with his Australian team is Australian 11 of all time in the one day format of the game. So
1: just one, uh, I need to check one of those points. The yep. ODI world 11 can't have Australians in it. I
0: thought it was going to be the rest of the world. I, I, I'm happy to, I, I've named two separate 11s. So, um, if you've got a, if you've got an Australian in the world 11 and that's you, that, that's you, we've had a bit of miscommunication, then I, I'd stick with it. But unless you can replace them really quickly, but, um,
1: I'll see what I can do. But there's certainly only Australians in my Australian 11. So we can start there pretty comfortably.
0: No worries.
1: Um, So my 11 is uh, Warner at one, Gilchrist at two, Ponting at three, Dean Jones at four. And then this is where it started to get a little bit tricky. There's a bunch of names that I wanted to give some time to, but I settled on. Bevan yep. five. Yep. Simon six. Yep. Watson seven. Yep. Shane Warren at eight. Yep. Stark at nine. Brett Lee at ten. McGrath at eleven.
0: Yep. Okay. So that's a very similar eleven to what I have. There's a couple there there are there are there are two players who are oh, let me yeah, two players difference between our two elevens. Um, there is some order, there is some different orders, but yeah. So, um, so let's go over who we've got similar. So we've got, we've both got Adam Gukras opening the batting. Um, I don't have Dave Warner. Um, this was one of my harder decisions. Um, and this is a, this is again, in a, a situation where I'm going to, I'm going to go older rather than newer. I didn't seriously consider Jeff Marsh, so don't worry. <laughs> I'm um, waiting
1: for Jeff Marshall. I'm waiting for Simon Davis.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Simon no, I didn't I didn't think of that Simon um <laughs> but I considered I, I mean I considered Warner I considered Hayden um there were some other players who I thought played a lot of cricket and opened the batting occasionally and looked pretty good doing it. I think Michael Clark was probably the one who, who popped in my head, but I went with Mark War. Oh. um you'll
1: never make me upset, putting Mark War. Yeah, there. I thought you'd and be happy.
0: It's the, it's the I'm
1: surprised you left him out. I thought, yeah, it's tough, really tough for me to leave Mark War yep. out. My, my absolute favourite um, cricketer to watch of all time, and a brilliant one-day player who excelled in World Cups. Um, you know, and and just when I when I really thought about it, and and you know, I was trying to get Mark War in there on on the strength of his World Cup hundreds, and David Warner's made a lot of them too.
0: Yep. Um, yeah, so it's probably just the other strings to the bow uh, with ball in hand um, that probably just tip mark over the edge. Uh, you know, a one-day team, T20, I think, is a different kettle of fish because only 20 overs, it can get away from you pretty quickly, and I think you need specialists. But I still think the one-day game lends itself to having – because you've, you've got to get through 50 overs in the field. I think it still lends itself to having like seven or eight genuine options, um, Mm. depending on conditions and the situation in the match. So I went with Gilchrist and Mark war My three, four are the same as yours, just in the other order. So I, I had Dean Jones and Ricky Ponting. Um, we haven't done a cricket pod in a couple of years. And, you know, as a very proud Victorian growing up in the eighties, um, Dino was my favorite cricketer. Um, it was it was a crime against the state when they dropped him for <laughs> they they did technically drop him for Damian Martin, but they really dropped him for Mark Walkers. because Dean Jones had just made the most runs amongst the Australian Test team in Sri Lanka in 92, 93, and Mark War had made four consecutive ducks. Um the the selectors did the right thing. Mark War made 102 Test matches later, which we I think we sat and watched. Um I was twelve and you were seven we were certainly there i think he and alan border made hundreds and they put on about 250 on boxing day against the west indies um you you can't underestimate the 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 difference in how one day cricket was played sort of pre-dino and and then post-dino and and the influence he had you you did not but i mean it wasn't it wasn't cool or fashionable before Dino came along at Australian cricket to run between the wickets like a bad man or field in the outfield if you weren't a fast bowler. And he made them he made them both cool. He he had a bat that was probably weighed the same as a large toothpick and he just flayed them everywhere. If you can find the video, which I think Cricket Australia put up, of the 145 against England at the Gabba in 1990. Which were just about the only runs he made that summer, but it is just an incredible knock, topped off with a topped off with two ridiculous things that happened at the end of the innings. One, he I think he hits Defreitas over fine leg, boundary for six with one hand on the bat, and then he's caught by Phil Tufnell. So, <laughs> two things you were, didn't think you were going to see that, but. um Dino is the groundbreaker. He's the he's the original um great Australian one day cricket player. And and the despite the fact I kicked at old school, he is the player who made his debut the first in my team. So there's no Dennis Early, who was very close. There's no Greg Chappell, there's no Alan Border. Um so yeah, I, I Chapel
1: had... was interesting, wasn't he? Because Chapel Chapel was a very, very highly rated international ODI all-rounder.
0: Yes, he was the, he got the second highest ever ODI ranking when they put the what they ranked them on now put them through the rest of history. He's he was he's only topped by Kapil Dev in terms of the highest ever ranking attained by an all-rounder in one-day cricket. So having said that Viv was fourth and <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you decided I'm not getting out to Viv you weren't getting out. I, I I don't think he ever bowled one that turned. I think he I think he got Blugs out because they had it was a one day game and they had to score quickly and they made a mistake. But um, we'll get to Viv in a minute. Um, five and six I had the same team as you again. Again I had them in the separate order. So I had Simon's at five and Bevan at six. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a different thing again. And I think as Australians became more confident in their in their, uh, te- you know, their national team's ability to win cricket matches, which was not something that happened in the nineteen eighties, um, when we were losing to the West Indies, you know, twice a week. Um, that 95, 96 summer, and then from then on in, where you were chasing, the run rate was probably half a run and over more than you'd normally be comfortable with, um, but Bevan was out there. Playing 4D chess, um, the the you know everyone talks about the the knock on New Year's Day in '96 against the West Indies, but he did actually make hunt, make score make innings like that pretty much once or twice a summer. There was one mm. against the New Zealand in 2002, um, where it was just an incredible ex- exercise in planning how playing an in innings in your mind on the fly and then executing that um it was almost the scariest in one day cricket was to watch bevan count the field because it was just like well the next ball's going into a gap um he was also that
1: he was also that um you know he he took what Dino had done between the wickets and and almost added something to that as well I think late innings, too, is that he could run with those huge
0: strides. It was amazing. I I think Bevan was a better runner between the wickets than Dino because Dino was just crazy. Dino would hit the ball. Yeah, kamikaze. Dino would hit the ball and immediately decide how many runs were in it and just run them. (laughs) And you just throw to the other bloke's end. (laughs) He's not going to be able to do it. If you play cricket 96... On the su- or Super International Cricket on the Super Nintendo when you got a fast runner together with a slow runner and after three runs you had lapped them. It was a bit like <laughs> that. <laughs> um, you and I have had discussions about the best one-day innings we've ever seen. Um, you saw the Simons knock in the 2003 World Cup in person. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did. Was it, it? Was four absolute... for 60? Warns got suspended that morning. Lehman's suspended I think Bevan was injured for that for that first game they, they were playing Jimmy Maher and Simon's played where there had just been this campaign in the newspapers to replace him in the in the World Cup squad with Steve War and then he goes out and does that.
1: I'll never forget it because I actually think he, I could be wrong here but I, he might have come out at seven um, and he was ponting's choice. Um, in that World Cup squad. He really wanted Simons there. Came out to bat with Ricky. Ricky got out. For about about 50. And we were really, really struggling. And then. They, Pakistan just kept putting more and more people. Between uh, point and uh, third slip. There was about 11 of them there at once. <laughs> Simons just kept hitting it through there. And it was it was extraordinary batting. And I'd always been a fan of him and knew that he had the capacity to hit big sixes and, and really entertain. But that day, he just gritted his teeth and said, I'm not getting out. And we recovered from that position to get 310 or something hmm. like that. And he hit Akram for six in the 50th over. And you just thought, what are we watching here?
0: I, um, I The memory I have of that game and that innings, is the three men behind square on the offside and then bowling, not that, sh- sh- not that short, outside off stump, I think, Wacko units before he bowled a beaver at him and got the ball taken off him. Um, and somehow Simon's just hitting the gap. where well, there was no gap. But uh, it's, it's, oh, it's four. Behind square again for four when, you know, as you mentioned, half the team is there waiting for the ball to arrive. Having said just that... Amazing. Having said that, I've never ever seen an Australian one-day batsman bat better than the Ponting 140 in the World Cup final that year. So mm. that's that, that's mine. The the may, maybe the Wanderers is the same size as my backyard. Right. Maybe my backyard's bigger, but some of those innings. But you could also make the argument that Martin's 88 at the other end with a broken hand is a better knock. Um, we both have Shane Watson at seven. It's the funny thing is when you look at the numbers and you look at how he played for the one day team. It's there's sort of no argument.
1: No, I mean, exactly right. We, I, yeah. I didn't again, similar to like not wanting uh, to leave Mark War out. I didn't particularly want to pick Shane Watson in my mind. Mm. Um, you could argue it's a mistake then not to pick him because you you'll always you'll speak about Cullis, I'm sure later, and the reason why he doesn't make an appearance in, um, in either of our World 11s is that he, he doesn't really pass the, the that test where you say like, oh, I went and saw Callis Bat and it was amazing or anything like that. and I don't think we we were never on side with Watto his whole career, but you, you look back at the numbers and what we wouldn't give for a cricketer just like him right now. And mm. he's adored the world over. He, he's, he's a cricketer who made a huge impact on the world stage. Um, so we owe him a bit of respect and his his one day numbers you know it's not even that silly to pick him at 7 because that remarkable australian world cup i think he was batting there for the majority of the tournament mm-hmm. so he's he's opened the batting for a good few summers he's and batted I, 3 he's batted basically every position in the top in that top 7 and he was awesome in that world cup as a guy that we weren't really sure we should be picking we had clark going berserk steve smith starting to make some runs um Maxwell going off. Um, but Watto was really, really good in that tournament.
0: I almost had him at two. I almost had him at two. But seven is where I had him. Um, sort of based on that, like the, the the last memories of Shane Watson, the one-day cricketer from that 2015 World Cup, um, where he was batting down the order for most of the time. Number eight is my probably my controversial pick. Um, I've got Simon O'Donnell. I wanted a bowling all-rounder here. I wanted someone yeah. who could really bat. So in terms of his peers, in terms of that role, I was probably comparing him more with guys like James Faulkner and Ian Harvey. Um, I, I, I just genuinely thought, as good as Warren and Lee were, that eight was too high for either of them. Um, mm. And in that respect... The first big hitter in Australian one-day cricket was Simon O'Donnell. He was the first one who really took the long handle. And it would it'd be it'd be incredible to see prime. Was well, he had two primes because his career was sort of derailed by getting cancer in the middle of it. But there's sort of 84, 85 Simon O'Donnell, and there's 1990 Simon O'Donnell when he won the International Cricket of the Year award, an award that should be brought back. Um, just say here's the best cricketer of the summer. Um, It'd be, I just wonder what it'd be like to get that Simon O'Donnell with one of the today's bats in his hand mm-hmm. um, in T20 cricket. Um, he would have been an incredible T20 cricketer. Um, so that's my left field pick. It's hard. It was hard to leave Stark out. It was hard to leave Dennis Lilly out. It wasn't hard um, to select Shea Warne. It was probably the, <laughs> just about the easiest selection of the team. Um, I'm not. I mean, who's Australia's second best uh, one-day bowler? Uh, spin bowler. It's probably Brad Hogg. Um, who, I mean, who could have? You could have selected if you if you were selected in the all-time Australia team for subcontinental conditions. I guess you would probably. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm talking to myself at you trying it Hogg, and hogging, I don't know who you get him in for. Um, and then my two fast bowlers were Leah McGrath. Um, Brett Lee's Australia's best fast bowler in one day cricket. He was an astonishing one day bowler. Mm. Um and you know I think I think the fact that he's yeah played a lot of test cricket, took a lot of wickets, but he's he's not in the absolute top echelon of Australian fast bowlers in Test cricket for me. Um but in one day cricket it was a different kettle of fish. Um and McGrath's best one day cricket he played at the absolute end of his career in conditions that are pretty foreign to, you know, Australians. So, you know, the length of his career, his, you know, where he take 450 one-day wickets, um, an incredible record, and he just kept, kept out DK. So um, my 11 from top to bottom, Gilchrist, Mark Waugh, Jones, Ponty, Simons, Bevan, Watson, Simon O'Donnell, Shane Warne, Brett Lee, and Glenn McGrath. So, they're they're
1: both very very good 11s. Both very good 11s. They're, good 11s. they're I, almost I like the same. It. They are. They are. The ability for Stark to to blow a team off the park and Stark and Lee in in tandem actually would be pretty frightening. Um yeah. So yeah, but you know it's hard to argue. And those legacy guys, like you're right, Simon O'Donnell is, is another piece there that 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 revolutionised. Australian one day cricket, and that's why you've got to have guys like um, Jones and and Bevan in the side. Uh, you know, because Bevan is that guy that, as as the team started to dominate, if we were batting first, you probably didn't even want Bevan in the team. Um, I, I used to say that at the hmm. time that if 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 you've had the coin toss and um and and you know we're batting. And you can probably leave Bevan out as much as he made some very good first innings runs. He was there to be that calculator if things were going wrong in the second innings. It's also nice to look back to to hear some of those names and to like reminisce about Simon's World Cup performance. Um, but to also think that in that tournament, while we were over there as you know, eighteen year olds um, with having far too many beers, that we we also saw, um, you know. Incredible stuff by um, uh, Ponting and incredible stuff by Bevan. A a, a game where he and Andy Bickle um, beat the English by themselves. Um, McGrath was superb in that tournament. Lee took a hat trick in that tournament. Uh, Warren didn't play, obviously, but um, yeah, you know, some of those names were were really on display there in in a time when, you know, I was loving cricket as hard as ever.
0: No worries. I'll give you a moment to consider a, a rest of the world 11 with any changes you might have with Australians coming out of that team. And I'll read out my all my rest of the world 11. Great. Um, and again, there will be some respect put on some old timers names. Um, one in particular, who we've talked about a lot, who I've talked about and no one else talks about. So um, my opening bats, are Desmond Haynes and Sanat J. Mm-hmm. Both incredible records in Australia in one day cricket. Um Haynes is the first great opener in Test cricket. He probably just nips so damoir well, uh for me. Um you know, I think the first cricketer I think to 8,000 one day runs. Um and scored at a reasonable uh rate, strike rate, considering the era he played in. Um, so comparing him against his peers, um, guys who would have been open the batting. Now, then, then the, I guess in terms of scoring rate, andy takes it to another level and then, and then you get to JS Surya and Kalawath, Kalawatharana and, and so on and so forth. But, um, I think, I think in terms of being the trendsetter in terms of, uh, opening innings and, and, and getting the, the scoreboard ticking over one part of a great, obviously opening duo with Gordon Greenwich throughout both forms of the game that were played at the time. But, um, Greenwich was probably the better test record and Haynes the other way around. Um, Jay Siri, just an incredible uh, striker of the ball. Sorry, I couldn't quite hear you. Thank you, Siri. Oh. Um, <laughs> well, it has. Yeah, it has. J- Sunath's name. Yes, it's just like, <laughs> can you tell me who the best relay can one day or rounder is? Um, <laughs> but also, um, a really strong record with the ball. So. Um, in terms of being able to contribute in more than one way, I think that helps. I've got Tendulkar at three. Um, you probably could have had him anywhere. Um, but um, probably the greatest one-day batsman of all time. You know, maybe the greatest batsman of all time. You know, I think the people could have certainly made the argument. Um, I've got Vivid four. Um, it was almost Lara. Um, it was very close. Um, I've got AB de Villiers at five, who's probably the most, uh, with one other person, the most contemporary person in my world eleven. Um, so there were, I mean, the, the innings that comes to mind for me for AB de Villiers was the twenty fifteen World Cup match at the SCG versus, I think, the West Indies. Mm. Um, I think he might have scored like a thirty five ball hundred. Um, it was if you had transported eight-year-old me and to that game, I don't know if I would have believed it. It was just <laughs> an absolutely incredible, the most incredible, um, uh, display of striking the ball. I think I've ever seen, um, at six, I've got Donny. um, I guess in sort of the, um, finishing spot. um, at his peak sort of Michael Bevan, the next generation, but with the ability to go over the top um, seven. The, the, the I guess the batting all around the spot. Um, this was, this was very tough. There is, there have been some great um, batting all around as who have come in at this, this part in this part of the order. I certainly thought very strongly about capital dev who mm. Seven people who who were in the ground when he scored the one seventy five in the eighty three World Cup against Zimbabwe, which basically turned the entire tournament. Um, I thought very, very strongly about Lance Klusner. Um, for (laughs) one tournament, yeah. I mean, it was a great career, but for one tournament, was the best cricketer in the world. Mm. I mean, the ninety nine World Cup, he was the best player in that tournament.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: Uh, I mean, there is some other names. Um both of his one day record doesn't really stack up um so in the end, I went with imran um in part because he's my captain um'll we'll be having this i had he's he just an, an- incredible record to 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 do what he did for so long i think he was i think he was just about forty when they won the ninety two world cup um but just, an, you know, an incredible performer and a very, very good cricket mind in the one-day game. His partner in crime is my number eight. That's Akram, Graham. trick on his first match against Australia in Australia at the MCG in 84, I think at 19. Um, not the greatest Australian side of all time, but still. Um, what a cricketer. What a cricketer. Wasim was. Number nine, I've got Malinga maybe the best pure death bowler of all time. Um, and so unique in, um, in, in everything about his game. Um, number 10, I've got Murali. Um, I sort of struggled, um, with a, with a, with the with a specialist spinner spot from the world team. um, I think it's more lent itself to players who can do other things. I I, I, I briefly considered Abdul Qadir. But I thought that would be just too old school. Um, and, but but I make up for it my next choice. My number 11th is Joel Garner. <laughs> um, still a one-day record that will never be surpassed. Uh, I think mm. the average 19 with the ball, economy rate of about three, and just the combination of height, and ability to and accuracy. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see what bowlers, what batsmen would do of today's age would do with Garner's unique skill set, but I still think they probably struggle. Um, so from top to bottom, my 11 is Desmond Haynes, Sanath J. Surya, Sachin Tendulkar, Richard A B. Devilliers, MS Dhoni, Imran Khan, Wasim Akram, Lassiz Malinga, Mutaya Muraliteran, and Joel Garner. Yeah,
1: a great 11. Um, Mind... I feel like
0: we're going to be more different on this one.
1: Yes, you're right. You're right. We are quite different on this one. And uh, and straight off the bat, I'll say that as I penned the team in the very first place, I had Gilchrist at seven, Warn at nine, McGrath at ten, which he would be very
0: pleased with. But I'll, <laughs> what I'll do, what I'll he do, he did is... bat five in the uh, the tsunami charity match, and I think made a gold. <laughs> I made a golden duck. <laughs>
1: Uh, he was unlucky though. He was, he was asking every, every time he, every time he ever. Got I love, I, I
0: love that I love that McGrath story. So, if I could just, I'll I'll, I'll just have a tangent. There's a story goes, um, two thousand and five Boxing Day Test match day two, Australia against South Africa about eight for two sixty, Hussey on about fifty five, and McGill's coming at ten. And he's on nothing. And the first over, McGill lets and Teeny see all three. And they're all duly removed from the ground. Now out comes McGrath. And he's in behind everything, makes a chanceless eleven. Um gets Hussey to a hundred. And then once Hussey gets to about 105, he goes to throw the bat and gets bowled. And the the, the legend goes that as they're trudging off, McGrath turns to Hussey and says, I got you to your hundred. The least you could have done is return the fame. <laughs> so good (laughs) so good but in the spirit
1: of um not spending another half an hour tinkering with this side for balance (laughs) i'm i'm just going to replace each of those three players in my 11 yep so it may not be perfect but this is what i had got to um number one is Rohit. um I, I dip my lid to all of the incredible one-day batsmen uh, that have come before him and um, opened the door to what he has been able to produce. But three ODI double hundreds—it's
0: pretty is, incredible.
1: Is insane. The the average is insane. I mean, he's 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 made big big scores in India, but he's he's just. I think you know as of late you can't really uh the, the the old criticisms of him not succeeding away from India and you know he's even sort of put the the test stuff um to bed with some really really lovely test innings of late so it's Rohit at 1 and Tendulkar at 2 um my my fondest memories of Tendulkar in in ODI cricket are opening the batting um, the the World Cup that we spoke about with, with Mark Waugh, um, 99. Um, that, that World Cup was just the two of them. There may as well have been no other batsmen in the world. Um, <laughs> they were constantly one-upping each other and Mark Waugh has played out of his skin but arguably been um, the second best batsman in that. Um, as you mentioned, could be the greatest of all time. Um, it, it, when I... When I think about it hypercritically, I want to watch Lara bat more than Tendulkar just for the the savagery of it, of that backlift and and all of that kind of um, thing. But the the genius of of Tendulkar is unrivalled. It's a test innings, but I recall him watching a game between England and India one day, and they were bowling with an eight one field, and he was stepping a foot and a half outside off stump with his, probably two feet outside off stump um, with his front foot to meet the ball and, and clip it through mid wicket. And the bowlers were bowling wider and wider and wider and he just kept doing it. And no, no one else in the world could do that. Incredible. Um, I've got Viv at three for all the reasons that you mentioned. Um, uh, an absolute thug. <laughs> um, and it I've got I've got so much brutality in this side from this point forward that
0: um, it's it more brutal you know, after Viv.
1: Yeah, well, it's just
0: it's we just, didn't we didn't really talk about him. He's, I mean, he's the first great one-day batsman. I mean, there's a 150, I think, in like 1979 when people didn't do it. He, yeah. He, his game, there's, you don't have to do the what would he be like today with today's best that we've done with a few <laughs> people. You could just trans, you can just transmit Viv straight to any era because he's just played, you know, in the way that people play now. He played then. Um, yeah, just amazing. And you, and you knew it was coming. I mean, that was the worst thing about it as an as a kid growing up in the eighties is this Viv strode to the crease with the swag. I can remember that. We had him. We had him in that World Series Cup in 88-89. Short match, you know, third final, 39 overs we got in. We made 234. It's just like, we've got them. And we had him two for 10. Div came out, hit a couple of, you know, just brutal boundaries. And then the rain came and almost washed the game out. And then they managed to get 18 overs in. And back then it was just like, what was your run rate you were chasing? Well, just times that by 18. Um, so the, the right, the, the total was sort of ludicrously small, which they then overcorrected for the 92 world cup. And then Duckworth Lewis finally found the happy medium. But, and then now, you know, now Merv and Terry Alderman are trying to contain this. And Steve Waugh are trying to contain this bloke. And the ball's wet. And it's just, I could just remember being there and just like, oh, these guys are going to beat us again. We had them. <laughs> and it was like that, Right up until I was fourteen, you know, just they'd always somehow find a way to beat us when it was most important, and that was a sort of personification of how Viv played and his attitude on the on the <laughs> field. It was it was incredible. He's, you know, he, 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 p- people need to you probably look back on his, particularly his Test numbers now, and you think, you know, maybe he wasn't exceptional, but you know, Viv passes the grand kids test. You if you watched Viv uh, bat, if you saw the one forty in Perth where he almost killed Tim May, um by hitting the ball back at him, um you know, he he you know, you'll be you bouncing your grandkids on your on your knees saying, I watched Viv. I, I was at games rebatted.
1: And there's no there's no um cricketer, past or present, naming a World Eleven and leaving him out. And that's often a pretty good um test as well. He yeah. All cricketers adored him. Um, I've got Coley at four. Yeah. So the the modern Indian team is um, is is getting a few representatives, but this is an ODI record, the likes of which we have never seen, um, and it, very unlikely to see it again. You know, with the, potentially with the popularity of the game itself waning. Um, In favour of T20 cricket, what he has amassed, he might be able to pull the numbers up for me. I don't have them in front of me right now, but an extraordinary amount, an extraordinary amount of second innings hundreds. So, in some ways, he's taken what Bevan did and and just multiplied it. You know, there there was this phase there where, similarly, you just knew India were going to win. As he strolled out, he's he's the only player I've seen that wanders out with swagger to match. Or or something in the ballpark of it. He's just... He's a superstar of world cricket, and we're very 12, lucky to have seen it.
0: 12,000 one-day runs at 59.
1: That's um, insane.
0: Which, I mean, Bevan's average hovered around that for a while. Um, but he didn't maintain it. Bevan didn't score 12. He didn't get near 12,000 one-day runs. Um, the amazing thing for me is hundred and five times past fifty at one day level of forty three hundreds, mm. which is just that's a better conversion rate at one day level than Mark Wool had at test level, mm. and by some distance. I mean his test, his test, you know, his test conversion record is one out of every two. So he's a guy who just goes on with the job, which is there's only. There's only two reasons why you don't go on with the job and that is you're not fit enough to bat for long periods of time or you're not mentally tough enough. So obviously Coley ticks both those boxes. Mm. As opposed to just the incredible talent that he has. Um you and I and both he's... like you were both you were you and I both liked him from the moment he played first in Australia and made hundreds and it's just like he doesn't seem to be intimidated at all by the conditions and who he's playing against and the crowd and everything. It was just like okay this is We'd never seen an Indian batsman just come in and be like that. Just be like, I am, this is where I'm supposed to be. Bring it on. I love it.
1: Yeah. I mean, Tendulkar went about his business in a very quiet and unassuming mm. way. Like, he didn't yeah. want to be the center of attention. He didn't want to be, uh, he didn't want to cause any <laughs> harm. He just wanted to make hundreds.
0: Yeah. I, I don't want to just, I'm not trying to say that Tendulkar didn't immediately arrive on Australian soil and start succeeding because he did, but it was just a different, much more unassuming. Kohli was right. immediately, obviously, rose to the challenge and you could tell just by looking at him.
1: Yeah, he was an antagonist massively in this mm. country and then became just the protagonist for all of Indian cricket, surpassing MS Dhoni, who was a, a freak show Um. Cricketer and leader, and personality, but Kohli's driven the standards that we're seeing now from Indian cricket. And while they lost the World Test Championship narrowly, and um, and and didn't make the World Cup final, you know, as you said earlier, they they appear set for some dominance in the world game. Um, and it's largely thanks to this guy who you know similarly to richards maybe you look at his at his test career and you go he could almost say he's underachieved even with that remarkable record because you know it's long been felt that the the big 3 you know that smith is has surpassed him in the test match arena and um williamson even potentially as well and roots now making runs for fun and and you know and and kohli despite some periods of dominance has had some real dips as well, but the ODI form is unrivaled and he has been the best batsman in the world across all formats, you know, this last six, seven years. So he, he was the must have in this team for me. And I, I, I understand there's recency bias there, um, but I just think he's, he's taken what they all did before and he's perfected it. Um, Another pew, I'm being greedy here, but I've picked Brian Lara. Um, it's the first time we see a left-hander, so you know you could probably you could potentially mess with this depending on um, how you saw the opposition. Um, but a brutal, just a brutal batsman. Um, my favourite um, non-Australian cricketer of of all time, I think. Um, I said it before, but this savage backlift, if. if if He just hit the ball harder than anyone I've ever seen. Um And I recall him winning games that he had no right to win without any support whatsoever. You know, going at nine and over, going at 12 and over, back before that was cool, um, before T20 cricket. Um Just a remarkable player.
0: I will um, say with that top five, Cameron, uh, Viv and Sachin are going to get the ball thrown in them occasionally, I think.
1: Yeah, well, so... As we said, you know, there, there's um, there's an argument that I would have to revisit the balance of this team, um, particularly with who's left to come, um, and I, I was I was very I wanted a, um, to pick a um, a couple of all rounders with with bowling strength, but it, it, you sort of stalled at at, um, at six and seven, and and I found myself doing the same. Um, I had Gilly. Uh, at six in this side, and I'm going to give the gloves to AB de Villiers, which is a little bit cheeky. Um, but you know, for that similar impact that um, that Dil Chris provides, um, and the and the sheer batting talent which you spoke about. Um, at seven, I hovered over a bunch of guys because you you want to be able to pick one of those superstar all-rounders, but you realise that most of them did it at. Um, at test level. And so, provided he can get his mind right, the guy that I think stands to be the best all rounder in ODI cricket is Ben Stokes. Um, One England, the World Cup, truly great batsman, and at his best, you know, is the guy that can nab you a wicket. Certainly sends down a lot of good overs. I think he's, you know, there's a lot of, of good bowling in front of him. It was it's tricky because he's not the he's not the first guy you might uh, lean to, but the the big game winning ability of Ben Stokes has, has been on show. I just think he's 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 a huge loss for the game currently. He'd be oh. a huge loss if he doesn't come out for the Ashes. Um, I'm picking on promise and potential, but I couldn't find a record. You know, the other guys that I was considering. You know, um, were guys like Afridi, who just played so much one-day cricket. <laughs> um, Sean Pollock, who who now might find a way into this side, um, considering I can't have McGrath, and he's, he's that kind of um, that same kind of um, metronomic player who brings mm. a lot more from a batting perspective and has a pretty remarkable one-day record. 400-odd wickets from memory and Um, a batting average of 26 with a couple of hundreds. Um, I had Akram at eight.
0: Before Um, we leave Ben Stokes, I just wanted wanted to say two things about Stokes. One is I had the same reaction to him his first time on Australian soil that I had to Coley. You just always, always have that respect for that player who just comes into the Australian conditions and immediately takes to it and relishes the challenge. Um, And the other thing is I love how much he cares about the result. My my one indelible memory from the 2019 World Cup is when Stark bowled him. And, you know, just a a ball that no batsman maybe in the history of the world would have kept out. It was just the perfect one-day delivery. And Stokes sort of just collapsed with a look on his face that was like, I had this. I had it. It was, you know, it was just like, I I I was there. I was, I I was seeing the ball how I wanted it to be. I had this under control. I had this, and it just got taken away from me. I I yeah. It it's it's a shame to see him away from the game. And if we do, if we are about to have an Ashes without him, it will be poorer. As much as you know, things were broken in the house when <laughs> when they won that match by a wicket. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Just a freak a freak talent and he, he yeah. hasn't done enough with the ball to get that spot. But I wasn't yeah. sure who that guy was who could provide that lower order hitting that I wanted and uh and also just, you know, be a golden arm for me. Um and I think he's got the potential to be that guy. So
0: if you'll allow me, it's a bit That's fine. Bit I mean than... we look who we both had Watson at the number seven spot in our Australian team who I think for that bowling around a spot, you've got to start looking at some of the other metrics, I think, rather than just bowling average. I think you've got to start looking at, because they bowl at different times. They don't tend to bowl at started matches, mm. but they tend to bowl in this sort of 10 to 30 over range and then at the end. So, you know, economy rate and things like that, um, you know, I think, I think you tend to have to look at it that way. So, you know, and, and Imran's test record is, you know, infinitely more impressive um than his one day record. But mm. um yeah, you know, I, I picked him for a number of reasons, including his captaincy. So um yeah. We we both yes. have both have Wasim was probably just about the first bloke picked in both our teams, I expect. That's right. Was yeah. him at eight. Um
1: and then tough. Tough but
0: it's Ronnie Irani it was... at nine, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah now you're talking um, yeah I look I, I need more time but I but it, I, I think what this team is going to miss out on now is explosive pace although Akram had plenty of that in the early days but I'm picking Ghana so I'm picking Pollock and I'll pick and then I think it, it would be silly if we went through this whole podcast without picking a twelfth man in this world side, just so we get to say John T. Rhodes. <laughs> and me. there's you know, everybody's got that one memory that stands out of of flying from point literally to crash the stumps and affect a run out in the um ninety two World Cup. But what that guy could do at backward point. Um, you know, he kind of revolutionized what was possible in one day fielding.
0: He's, he's at least the third best fieldsman we named in either of our sides. <laughs> I mean, Ponting, Ponting on one side of the bat and Simon's on the other side, on the other side of the pitch was. Um, yeah, that was something. Incredible. And, I mean, Jonty would have been playing in that 97, 98 uh, tri-series final where Ponting ran out Cronier, I think, Um, where, you you know, the classic understated Ian Chappell call where he's like, you you, you didn't need to look at all three. Um, (laughs) There there is, it it would be remiss for me to go at Cricket Podcast without mentioning uh, the YouTube genius of Rob Moody but there is oh. amongst his money many wonderful videos there is a there is a Ricky Ponting throws the stumps down montage um he posted my is, other
1: favorite one yesterday he posted the um Damian
0: Martin defensive shots oh it was board. his birthday yeah the oh. the king of the offside video um oh my god with the, the I mean the the Ian Bishop commentary when he's doing it in the champions trophy <laughs> yeah it's not going to go to the back. Oh, it was just a push. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's a great forgotten fast bowler of the 80s and 90s for West, out of the West Indies, Ian Bishop. Um, career not long enough, but, um, you know, he got the new ball before Courtney did um, when he was up and about, Ian. Certainly in the 92-93 Frank World Trophy, the opening bowling was Kirtley and Ian Bishop. None of us mentioned Kirtley. Yeah, so, so Kirtley...
1: Kirtley, (laughs) Kirtley's the other one that I was tossing up with, you know, versus uh, Pollock for the last spot in a no Australians World Eleven. Kirtley is my one of my favourite bowlers, and I saw a lot more of him than Garner, but you can't not have Garner on record. Um, Mm. Kirtley would be much more feared than Pollock, but um, you know, Pollock for the batting. I don't need the batting, so. I'd just as happily pick Curtley. I
0: love him. Fair enough. Uh, if there is a if there is a tiebreaker need for K- Garner versus Kirtley, as Garner was a very very handy gully field, so I I I, I don't remember a, a Kurtley fielding highlight. No.
1: So. <laughs> Doesn't make. <laughs> I don't any think sense he was quite Garner was good in the gully. That does not make he... any sense at all.
0: No, he was. I mean. He was. He covered a lot of space, but um, <laughs> he was, and and his best mate in the West Indian team, I'm reliably informed, in the early eighties was Gus Logie, um, <laughs> who was five foot at most. So, and, and, and also another great fieldsman. So, um, I'm going to scratch Jonty from Twelfth Man because I just feel like there's a theme to my team. And I'm going to put in Gus Logie as my 12th man. Who was He was a professional 12th man for the West Indies for many years. It was either him or Roger Harper. So, mm-hmm. um, but Logie was an incredible all-round fieldsman. Fielded a lot in close in test matches and fielded in the outfield in one-day matches. Now, we're going to have to find, before, before I let you go, we've got the Ashes coming up, so we're going to do a preview pod for that. But considering that's a test series, we should do the same thing. Um for Test Match 11s. Um, but we probably need some sort of time frame parameter because neither of us saw Bradman Bat or Len Hutton Fair. Or, or Gary Sovis. So um, how about 1990 onwards? So we both saw them play.
1: Yep, let's do that.
0: 1990 to now, all-time test 11s uh that sounds good it means that I'm not going r- to relent a temptation and include Chris Matthews in my Australian <laughs> 11 well it's been good talking about cricket we haven't done it in a while I hope that all of you held out for us to talk about cricket had a good time us waxing lyrical about um well certainly for me no one who's playing at the moment in my 11s and Cameron was a bit more contemporary um hard to Hard to argue with Rohit or Coley or uh, or Ben Stokes, but um you know, it's just a good bit of fun and we'll do it with the test teams and there'll be some be interesting thoughts about trying to narrow it down to two Australian test openers. So Oh. Thought about it earlier, it's a nightmare. Yeah. And, and and then a three, four, five. Um, Cameron's always a pleasure. Enjoy the weekend in Melbourne. Get out amongst it. Good on you, mate. No worries. And we will catch you next time on the podcast. It you go with that saying. Cheers. Yes.